0: Good morning, everybody! It's good to see you! Well, I am so excited to be with you guys this morning. And if you are visiting with us, let me just echo what Eddie said. I know our senior pastor would love to meet you. And so give us one year of your life. It won't take a year to meet him. He'll be in the lobby, I promise, next week. But just uh, come on back. I know we'd like to get to know you. I promise you, this is a special church and your life will not be the same once you give us a year of your life. And I also wanna encourage you, we have so much happening in December. We have that winter wonderland. We have a kids' play this Wednesday night. We have the Holiday Shop and Drop. So much going on. Go to the website. Um, check it out. Make notes about all that. We would love to have you be a part of that. And it's Christmas season has officially kicked off. All right. December 2nd. All right. How many of you have your tree up? Y'all need to get, some of y'all need to get in gear, okay? Christmas is December 25th this year. Make a note, like circle it. It's coming whether you're ready or not. But I just love this season. It's one of my most favorite times of year. And um, I want to just kick off our Advent season, our Christmas season, with a message called The Miracle of Christmas. Christmas. And I want to unpack two incredible miracles that are a part of Christmas with you this morning. The first one is that God became man. That is the first miracle of Christmas. There's so many religions, so many paths where man is always trying to improve himself. He's always trying to attain enlightenment. He's always trying to have some works that can make up for the wrongs that he's done. And Christianity, God himself, is the only one who says, you can't get to me, but I will come to you. And that is the first miracle of Christmas. And the second one is that God's will will prevail. God's purpose and will will prevail. And so I just want to unpack those two Christmas miracles with you guys today and kick off our Christmas season. So we're going to start in the book of Genesis at the very first Christmas promise, the very first Christmas promise that was made. And it's in Genesis chapter 3. And the setting here is that Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden and Eve's just decided that God didn't tell her the truth. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't about choosing a forbidden fruit. It was about whether or not she was going to believe God had told her the truth. And she chose in that moment to believe that God wasn't being honest with her. She believed the serpent and she took the fruit and her husband who was with her. And so they've fallen. And so it's Adam, it's Eve, and it's the serpent who's Satan, who are all in this place together. And God comes and he starts talking to them. And we pick it up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, this is God speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he's talking to the serpent, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I think it's amazing that the very first Christmas promise wasn't to a man, it wasn't to a woman, it wasn't to God himself, but the very first Christmas promise was to the enemy. He's sitting there going, you know what? You think you've won. You think you've separated me from the children that I love, but I got news for you. I'm coming for you. This is between you and me, buddy. And you... I'm going to bruise the heel, but I am going to crush your head. That's Now, that's how you start a story, y'all. That's like, now I'm interested. I got to see how this thing ends. That's a killer start. Because how many of you know God says what he means and means what he says? He says what he means and means what he says. And so he has put the enemy on notice. Your head is getting crushed today. And so we're sitting there and we're like, man, how is this all going to play out? Well, in the theme of God means what he says and says what he means, that also has very real meaning for the Stevens household at Christmas time. I've been married to Todd for many years. We love each other, and I tell him the same thing every year. I want you to surprise me this Christmas. You don't have to, I'm not going to make a list. You're not going to have to check it twice. I have always been nice and never naughty, for the record. But I said, I'm not going to tell you what I want you surprise me. And so every Christmas he listens for like these hints. So I'll be like talking to a friend and I'm like, oh girl, I love your bag. And he's like, she likes that bag. Or, you know, I'll be talking to the kids and I'm like, oh man, mom could really use some new earrings. You know what I mean? And so he's picking up on these hints. So one Christmas morning, we're all sitting around the tree And I open up my first gift, because this is how we do it. We each take a turn. We open a gift, then the next person opens a gift, and the next person opens a gift. Because I waited in line for 30 minutes for that toy. I want to see you smile, okay? All eyes are on you. You love that Lego set? Mama fought a crowd for that Lego set. I am so happy. Okay, now your turn. You love that sweater? I love that sweater, too. That's cashmere. Don't wear that to school. You like that? You know, you just go down the list, right? And so it was my turn, and I get handed this box, and I'm like, Ooh, I'm so excited. I'm going to be surprised. And I open it, and I open a box of spatulas. Now, girls, how many of you had to fake it on Christmas morning? You had to have your poker face. done it. Don't sit here and look at me. You know you had your poker face Christmas morning, you know? And so I was like, wow, this is really cool. And he said, you know, when you were making Thanksgiving dinner, Sarah, you said you needed some spatulas. I said, I bet I did. How about that? That's awesome. So I think, all right, surely I have said more than spatulas. So second box comes. And I open up a box of spatulas. Because he said, hey, I went to the store and it was crazy. Did you know there's different kinds? These are scraper spatulas, Sarah. I didn't know if you needed the regular spatulas or the scraper spatulas. And I wanted to make sure I got you exactly what you wanted. Merry Christmas, baby. Poker face. I love it. This is great. I'm so excited. I'm going to make something right now. (laughs) Trouble for you. That's what I'm going to make, you know what I mean? It's like, say that. I didn't say that. It's Christmas morning. This is inside. This is inside. <laughs> so at this point, my, my daughter is coaching me. She says, Mama, maybe you should ask for shoes or something. And I'm like, yeah, note to self, baby. Third box comes. Open it up. I get pancake spatulas. <laughs> because he said, it's so tricky. Do you know they call everything a spatula? You know, these are spatulas too. And again, just wanted to make sure I got you everything you wanted. My poker face was tired, y'all. My poker face was tired. I was like, I love it. This is great. But no, I was like, thank you, baby. I'm going to make some pancakes in like 15 years. I'm going to make some pancakes. But that was my Christmas because you say what you mean and mean what you say in the Stevens household. And so I, before I got into the ministry, I was uh, in politics. I worked for a member of Congress. And if there's anything that being in politics taught me, you stay on message. So now, Mama Smart, from Labor Day till Christmas Eve, I stay on message. So I'm vacuuming the floor, and I'm like, man, diamond earrings would make this so much better. (laughs) Oh, Yeah. Ooh, mama needs some diamond earrings. I'm washing dishes. I'm like, this soap is sparkly, like diamond earrings, like diamond earrings. Everything I do, I'm staying on message for those diamond earrings, and I'm holding out hope for Christmas. Amen. Y'all believe for my miracle with me in the name of Jesus. But that's what it means. God God says what he means. It means what he says. And at Christmas, he says, you know what? I'm going to crush your head, Satan. And you're going to bruise his heel. And Satan's on guard from then on out. Which is why you see this series and this chain of events just start kicking off. First, Adam and Eve fall, but God makes a way for them to have a redemptive covering. And then Satan's like, look, offspring of a woman, i got to cut this thing off. And Cain kills Abel. And then Cain goes and does his own thing. But then God's like, no. And he gives Adam and Eve Seth. And the word says that through Seth, men began to call on the name of the Lord again. Satan's like, you know what? No, offspring of a woman. I got to cut this thing off. And he lures this guy named Nimrod to the Tower of Babel. And people believe they can be like God. God's like, no, I'm going to call a man named Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And I'm going to make a people unto myself. And Satan's like, no, we can't have this. And he gets them enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. He's trying to cut off that offspring of a woman. He has one thing on his mind. It's getting his head crushed. And God says, no, they're not going to be in Egypt forever. And he raises up Moses to set his people free and get them established in the promised land. And the entire Old Testament is God raises up a prophet, the people get close to God, the people fade. He raises up a king, the people get close to God, the people fade. He raises up a man or a woman of God, they get close to God, the people fade. And that is the entire Old Testament, time after time after time. Because Satan has one thing on his mind. He doesn't want his head crushed. And then God says nothing. From Malachi, where the Old Testament ends, to Matthew, where the New Testament begins, there's 400 years of silence. Satan sitting back going, dodge that bullet. God is quiet. But I love how our God starts the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. It starts like this the book of the ancestry of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed. All of a sudden, we see God is like changing the game. He's done raising up a man to lead his people to get close to him. He's like, no, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to do this thing myself. I am coming to you. I am coming to you. You don't have to come to me anymore. That is the miracle of Christmas. The word became flesh. Amen. Amen. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. John 1, John 14, 114 says, And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of God. God became man. So then you see where Satan, he kind of has the same play. He's like, Okay, this was my play in the Old Testament. And then you kind of see the, the Christmas story in a new light. Because he hears what the angel tells Mary. He realizes, Oh, God is resetting the game now. I'm still in trouble. And that's why when you read the Christmas story, you realize after Mary gets this promise that Joseph had in mind to put her away quietly and divorce her. He's like, okay, let's cut this off at this pass. She's not going to have a partner to help her do this. And you know what? The Lord comes to Joseph in a dream and says, do not be afraid to take her as your wife for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph comes alongside her. He's like, okay, all right, I can't get Joseph. The Romans want tax money. I'm going to make it at the most inopportune time. Call for a census. This woman's going to be nine months pregnant. She's going to have to travel 100 miles on dangerous roads, nine months pregnant, but God's hand is on them, and he gets them safely to Bethlehem. It's like, fine, they get to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. There's no hospitality for you. No people will help you. You are in this by yourself. Give up now. Have your baby in a field. But no, God makes provision for them in the stable. And then it's like, all right, well, fine, he's born. Okay, well, Herod, I'm going to make you crazy, and you're going to kill all the kids in Israel, two and under. And an angel comes to Joseph and says, take the Mary and the child and go to Egypt because people want to take his life saying time after time after time, he's just trying to avoid getting his head crushed. And the Christmas story tells you and I that God's provision is always better than what we can plan. God's provision is always better than what we can plan. And God and Satan are not playing a game. God is above and has, is four, five, seven, millennia ahead of Satan. Satan is catching up to God because he's like, I have put things in motion you don't even know about. Keep trying to avoid getting your head crushed. I promise you it's coming. I promise you it's coming. And that's the Christmas story that God became flesh for you and I. I love the story where, or the verse in Hebrews It says, for this reason, he had to be made like them. Jesus had to be made like you and I, fully human in every way. He hurts like you and I hurt. He was tired like you and I get tired. He was attacked like you and I get attacked. He gets hungry like you and I got hungry. He was fully human in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. In the Garden of Eden, man had fallen, and man had to die. But Jesus comes alongside, and I believe it says in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there in the garden. The Trinity has always been in place. And I believe that when God said, someone's got to pay for this sin, Jesus said, don't take it off of her. Don't take Adam's life. I'll go. I'll go. I'll be the one. And God is not slack in keeping his promises. That's what 2 Peter tells us. Time after time, we're like, God, where are you in this? But he opens up the New Testament, and we see God and man coming together as one. The book of Isaiah has this beautiful verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 9, 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It is offspring of a woman. It is a child, but he is the son of the living God. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That is the miracle of Christmas. He is fully man and fully God. And because he is both, not one or the other, but both, our debt is paid We have a way to go to God without fear. His righteousness is our righteousness. We no longer cower, but we are heirs and sons because he was God and man. The game changed. That's the first miracle of Christmas that gets me so excited. This is why I put my tree up on Halloween. I'm like, get it going, it's Christmas time. Nobody else does that? No, okay, (laughs) I'm with y'all. I'm like, you know why? Because the miracles, the whole world is reminded. The whole world, I don't care who you are, or where you can live under a rock and you know it's Christmas time. And it reminds the world that God came for you and he loves you. And there's nothing that can come between you and him anymore. There's nothing that can come between what he has for you and where you're at today because of Christmas. So because... He was man and God, and because Jesus raised him from the dead, because that's the other great ploy in this whole thing, Satan's sitting there going, hmm, all the way through, I couldn't get him killed in the Christmas story. So he kind of picks up that play, and he's like, all right, his parents are going to lose him at the temple at he's 12. Well, they find him, praise God. And then they're like, you know what? I'm going to have to go down there, and I'm going to have to meet with him myself. And that's where Satan and Jesus meet in the wilderness, And he offers him authority, he offers him power, he offers him all this stuff. And Jesus rebukes him through the word of God and it says he departed for a more opportune time. And Satan here is thinking, well, he's fully man. If he's fully man, he has to die. And we see the whole New Testament, the three years that Jesus ministered on the earth, power and wonder and works, and it all culminates on the cross. And for three days, Satan is sitting back there going, whoo, dodge that bullet. My head's not getting crushed. He was fully man. He's gone now. But little did he know, you didn't read the rest of it. (laughs) He, God raised him from the dead, gave him authority over you, and now he is the fulfillment of everything we've ever hoped for. He wasn't just man, he was God too. I love the way Revelations puts it. Revelations 2.18, he says, Behold, I was dead, but now I live, and I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. All authority reset at that point in Jesus' name. And because all authority reset, because he has all authority, every purpose for God's will for our lives can be accomplished. You know, um, when I was, sometimes when I'm praying, I like to try to just picture myself not fighting the enemy like this, because you're not fighting the enemy like this. You're fighting the enemy on a different plane because of Christmas, because Jesus made the fulfillment of so many different prophecies and promises. And because Ephesians says that because Christ raised him from the dead, this is Ephesians 2, 6, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So you don't fight like this anymore either. You fight like this because you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so the enemy is under your feet because his head is crushed. So you pray and you fight like this. You're not doing this anymore. That is the promise of Christmas because he fulfilled it. This is the pl- the, the plane that you operate on. So many believers are operating on this plane, struggling, speaking to their giants when in reality... They should be fighting just like this because his head is crushed and under your feet. Christmas changed everything. You don't need a man to get you close to God. His word and his his purpose is written on your heart. He's died so that you can have perfect fellowship with him. You can boldly come before the throne of grace to obtain help in your time of need. You fight like this now. This is what Christmas means to you. That's how everything changed. And that's why I put my tree up on Halloween. I'm trying to convince you too, too. So that's the way the game changed at Christmas. You know, um, there was a a man in the Bible. You guys know him as a very famous prophet. His name's Isaiah. If things did not work out with him in the ministry, he could have written amazing Christmas greeting cards. Because all of the famous verses we know are in the book of Isaiah. And I just shared one. It was um, that for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But there's another one that Isaiah shares as a promise that Jesus is coming. And it's buried in a very unusual place. Like you're not sure why it's in the context that it's in. And the scene is that there's this really evil king in Israel. His name is King Ahaz. And Isaiah is trying to lead the people of God. And he's trying to convince the king to trust God. But this country called Syria is threatening Israel. And the king is really sweating it. And so he goes and he grabs money, gold and silver, out of the God's temple. And he goes and he makes a deal with a country called Assyria, two different places. And he says, look, the Syrians are after me. I'm going to pay you to fight the Syrians for me. Let's just, you know, I don't, I don't think I can survive this, but I'm going to hire you as mercenaries and make this happen. And the Lord sees all this unfolding, and he says to his prophet Isaiah, he says, look, get yourself over to that man. This is a loose interpretation. You can read it for yourself at Isaiah chapter 7. He's like, you go get yourself to that king and tell him to believe me. I will fight for him. How many of you like myself, have been facing an enormous challenge, an enormous problem. And the first thing we reach for is our checkbook or our contacts, or we're going to fix these things with our own hands. And we can feel the Holy Spirit tugging on us saying, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I will fight for you if you will just let me come to me and ask me. How many of you have been in that situation where we've got to fight for focus to go to God first instead of the things we want, instead of fighting it with our own hands? That's where Ahaz is. And so the prophet says to Ahaz in chapter 7, verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. I don't even have time to preach that this morning. This is a Christmas message, but there's so much truth in that. The prophet is telling the king, look, if you can't stand firm in your faith, there's nothing you can stand in. There's nothing you can stand in. If you can't trust me at all, you can't trust me for anything. And he says, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, Ask the Lord for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. And Ahaz crosses his arms and says, no, 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 I'm not going to tempt God. I'm not going to ask for a sign. He was being pious, overly religious. He wasn't being religious at all. He was being prideful. He'd already made up in his mind what he was going to do. I'm here to tell you, there are seasons where I sometimes make up my mind what I'm going to do. And people are like, why don't you pray about that? And I'm like, I'm afraid the Holy Spirit won't agree with me. So I'm not going to pray about that. Mama got a plan. Get on board. You know what I'm saying? That's, I feel that. I've been there. You've been there a hundred times, right? Where our pride threatens God's provision. Our we dig our heels and I got this. I got this figured out. I don't need your help. I got this figured out. True story, guys. I went to a dude ranch for my 40th birthday. I learned a very hard lesson in I got this. I decided to sign up for barrel racing lessons. If you're going to turn 40, you go out in a blaze of glory, right? This was in April. I signed up for barrel racing lessons. They said, do you have any experience on horses? I said, absolutely. I ride one at the county fair every year. And they're like, okay. And I said, no, I've got it. I got it. I got it. I'm just kidding. I got it. And in my head, I'm thinking there's a carousel at the Woodlands Mall. How much different is it? You know? So this real cowboy shows up with real horses, and he expects you to have experience, but I thought I can fake it till I can make it. I'm from the woodlands. We do it all day, every day. <laughs> and I get on this horse, and he's like, okay, a couple thoughts. One, first of all, this is your gas. If you squeeze him, it's his gas. If you pull on his reins, it's the brake. But my horse is a machine. He's trusting you to direct him and guide him you are the brains of this animal. He is going to obey you. I'm like, I love this. This is the first time I'm a, I'm a mom and a wife. This is awesome. Something's going to obey me. This is awesome. You know, new feeling for me. I get on that horse and I'm doing okay. We start off on a walk and then you go to that thing where it's like a, thank you. Where were you six months ago? I could have used you. <laughs> Six, you get on a trot, and then a canter, that one's very painful. I got to tell you, there's a lot of this action when you're in a canter. And finally, I am ready. I'm thinking, I have got this. I am golden. And I cut that first barrel, y'all, and my saddle did this. My head said, you don't got this. You don't got this. You don't got this. I thought, my body said, I got this, I got this, and I squeezed that horse. That horse got gas. his name was Big D. Big D and I will never forget each other ever again. The last thing I saw as I, before losing consciousness, no, I see a fence because I'm in a corral. I see this fence rail and I'm like, I think I just gave Big D the gas. And I'm like, big deal, stop. And then I remember the cowboy said, big D's trusting you to tell him what to do. My head's saying, you don't got this, you don't got this. My legs are saying, hold on tight. It's like we're having a fight here between my head and my legs and I can't make up my mind, right? I got this, I got this. And somebody suggested, my legs, I think, talked to my arms, said, reach out for that fence. You can hop off this animal. (laughs) Let me tell you something. God's ways are always better than our ways, okay? That's where I'm going with this. I reached for that fence, and the last thing I saw was the business end of Big D. I flipped back over off that horse, and I fell on my Big D. And I literally was just, like, stunned. And this is the first day of the dude ranch. And let me tell you something. Todd Stevens has paid for a week. I can't go home, all right? He's not getting his money back. I sat at a 45-degree angle for three weeks. I could not even move. I had to put ice on everything. Do you know what it's like to call your senior pastor and say, I need a sick day on Monday because I can't sit? You know what I'm saying? That's where it was. But there's this battle when you and I, we approach life that way. We say, I got this, I got this, I got this, and we're just going to hold on as tight as we can. But at the end of the day, God's like, you know what? You don't got this. Don't hold on as tight as you can reach up as far as you can. I got you. I got you. So Ahaz is sitting there and he's like, no, I'm not going to trust the Lord. I'm not going to ask for a sign. And the prophet Isaiah says, fine, you won't ask for a sign. I'll give you a sign myself. And it says the virgin will conceive and she will bring forth a son. And you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. How? 740 years before Bethlehem, how is this a sign to King Ahaz and to you and I? Well, for King Ahaz, it was a sign because Isaiah is sitting there going, You are in the tribe of Judah. The Messiah has to come through you. The enemy couldn't cut it off at Abel. He couldn't cut it off at Seth. He couldn't cut it off at Abraham. He's not going to cut it off with you. Trust God to bring the Messiah through your family. This enemy isn't wiping you all out. That's what the prophet was pleading with King Ahaz to believe God for. And the prophet is pleading with you and I. To say, look, because of Jesus, because of his victory, because you are a son and a daughter and an heir with Christ, Satan cannot take anything from you that God has for you. Trust him for it. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is always with you. He is never far from you. Trust him to see you through this. Don't hold on tight. Reach up high. In the name of Jesus. That's what his promise was. So here's the deal. Satan can't take anything from you that God has for you, but there are things you can surrender back. When you're tired, when you're hurt, when you're lonely, when you've just been fighting a long time, it's in those seasons that you'll feel the enemy try to tug you and lead you to the table of compromise. Let's, let's strike a bargain. Let's strike a deal. You've been fighting a long time. He can't have anything God has for you, but he can try to convince you to surrender what God has for you and give it back to him. And so you sit there and you're in this tight, hard season. I have moms in my office who call me who are believing God for a miracle for their children. They are standing in the gap for their children because their children are fighting illnesses they don't even know how to solve. I have men and women who are fighting and standing in the gap for their marriages year after year after year, and they don't know how God is going to mend together what's been torn apart. And their hearts are just tired, and they've fought a long time, and they're right on the edge of saying, let's make a deal. That's where the enemy has them. Where well, there was this season in American history. It was February 3rd, 1865. The American... America has been in a civil war for five bloody years. It is the most, four bloody years, it is the most costly, devastating war we've ever fought. Over 600,000 Americans are dead. In today's numbers, it would be 6 million. And President Lincoln is under this enormous pressure to just find a way to end the war. No sacrifice can be worth this. Go strike a deal. Find a way to end this war. Let's get this thing over with. And President Lincoln agrees. And he goes to what's called the Hampton Roads Conference. And he goes to this riverboat off the shore of Virginia. And he meets with representatives from the Confederacy and his team. And the vice president of the Confederacy... His name was Stevens, and he asked Lincoln, he says, is there any way for us to stop this war? And Lincoln looks right back across the table at him, and he says, the way we stop this war is for those who are resisting the laws of the Union to cease that resistance. Lincoln was determined the Peace Accords, the Hampton Roads Peace Conference was a complete failure. Because Lincoln was determined, either you surrender completely and you become a part of this union, or I will meet you on the field of battle. You and I are going to have fights in our lives where the enemy's like, what's it going to take to get you to give up this dream for your child? What's it going to take for you to believe that God doesn't really have his best in mind for you? What's it going to take for you to throw in the towel and say, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting this fight. I'm just going to do my own thing. What's it going to take to get you there? Just like the Confederacy is like, what's it gonna take to end this war? And you and I have to have a resolve where we say, I want nothing less than God's will for my life. We look back at the enemy and we say, I want nothing less than what his word says I can have. There is no compromise here. I am going to hold out for peace through victory than to take compromise with the enemy today. That is why we have Christmas. You don't have to settle. You don't have to settle for, for some temporary appeasement when you can have lasting peace. That's the message of Christmas. That's why God's will for you always prevails. This is what's crazy about the whole thing. Lincoln didn't know it at the time. He's sitting there holding his ground on February 3rd. You want to know when the war ended? Lee surrendered on April 9th, 60 days almost to the day. Lincoln was within 60 days of total victory. You and I will get within 60 days of total victory and the enemy will say, let's strike a deal, let's strike a deal, let's strike a deal. The more intense your conflict, the harder you're fighting, the more you feel pulled to strike a deal. Friends, you are closer to victory than you have ever been in your life. He is worried, he is nervous. His head is crushed and he knows it. And he's sitting there going, I cannot win in this situation. My only hope is if you will surrender. That is his angle. And Christmas reminds you and I, we never have to surrender again. We never have to surrender again. In the name of Jesus. You have authority because you are under authority. Christ's authority, Christ's provision, his victory is your victory. His righteousness is your righteousness. And that's your promise today. Let's stand together. Prayer partners, if you can go ahead and start making your way down here to the front, I don't know what season you're in or what fight you're in. I don't know if you're in your own civil war right now and you've been fighting long and you've been fighting hard and you're just tired and you just need someone to stand in agreement with you and help you press through for the next 60 days because your victory's coming. I don't know if it's a season where you're sitting there and you're like, Lord, I don't know how you're going to make this happen for me. You just need someone to agree in prayer with you and trust you that it will come to pass. These prayer partners do not believe God can. They believe God will in the name of Jesus. And the Christmas message for you and I is that because God became man and because he prevailed, you can always have what God has for you just don't give it up. Don't surrender it. Don't surrender it. Don't surrender it. So I'm going to pray here in a little bit, and I'm going to ask the Lord to bless you, and I want you to come down and ask someone to agree in prayer with you so you can hold on for another 60 days in the Spirit. And also, I want to challenge you. Don't hold on tight. Reach up high. Don't hold on tight. Reach up high. And we do that through worship. We do that through praise. We do that by reaching into the word of God. We don't strangle our situation. We speak. Life and truth into our situation. That's how we achieve victory in Jesus' name. So I'm gonna pray for you. I want you to start coming down so people can pray and agree with you, and then we're gonna worship. Lord Jesus, Father, I bless your name. I thank you, Father, that you became man. God, you didn't send someone for me. You came yourself for me. And God, I thank you, Father, God, that you see the fights that every single person in this room is fighting. God, I thank you that you are fighting for them, you are fighting with them. And God God, they are 60 days out. They are 60 days out that you don't have compromise in their future. You have victory and conquering in their future. And God, I thank you that the Christmas promise to us is we will never be the same. Mankind will never be the same. You changed everything. You crushed the enemy's head. And God, we can have total victory because, Father, you have won it for us in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, minister to your people right now. Speak to their hearts right now. Be faithful and a pastor to them right now. Help them to trust you and to believe you for what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.